Welcome to What the Church, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. I'm Cameron Hughes. On today's episode, we'll be dropping back in on our pastor's class to listen to David Swanson teach on the topic of baptism. If you haven't had the chance to attend our pastor's class yet, they meet at 10.05 in Lee Fellowship Hall after our fellowship time, and it's taught every week by one of the members of our pastoral team. We spend about 25 to 30 minutes covering a topic on missional living and spiritual practices, and the rest of the time we spend in discussion around tables with others. Uh, January 26th is our annual baptism commitment renewal service here at First Pres. So David dropped by the class this week to teach on what we believe at First Pres about baptism and how recommitment is different than rebaptism. Enjoy. Um, baptism is a very important part of our, of our faith expression. It's a very important part of our worship. And uh, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And I'll get into uh, multiple baptisms in a little while. But... Um, uh, next Sunday is not, and let me be clear about this, uh, it's not when you get rebaptized. Um, next Sunday is when we're going to remember what happened in our baptism and we'll use water as a part of our remembering. And so, uh, you know, don't, don't go tell people, hey, next Sunday, you, you, if you want to get rebaptized, you can at first press. So uh, that, would, that would be the wrong message. So uh, Becky is going to be my counterpart and kind of uh, interview me about different things regarding baptism. So we're going to just dive in here. And it's special because I was just thinking, David, I was reflecting um, exactly a year before I joined the staff, uh, uh, David baptized our daughter Delaney. So watch out when he baptized. If he baptizes your child, <laughs> you may. Yeah, who knows you may how, wind up on staff. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a blessing. But David, to begin with, what is baptism? So what is baptism? I know that, you know, it, like any uh, gathering or community, there are, uh, there are rituals and experiences uh, that you go through that make you a part of whatever that community is. And so, you know, maybe if you go join, you know, Rotary Club, you're going you're gonna to look at the, the four pillars and you're going to have to, you know, pledge certain things and membership. There are certain rites of passage. And in, in the Christian church... Um, the sacraments uh, are, are these things that God in Christ has made holy or set apart. To be sacramental is to be set apart. And so uh, in, in the scriptures, sacraments are only those things that God has commanded us in Christ to do. And so there are only two. There's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, in different denominational traditions, you may find other sacraments. In the Catholic Church, for example, there are seven sacraments. Um, in the Protestant Church, and, and in particular in Presbyterian faith, we only believe that there are two. I don't, I don't find uh, in, in Scripture where, where Jesus said, now go and beeth married, um, you know, as if we had to do that. Or thou shalt have the last rites. Um, there's not a direct command, but he did say, do this in remembrance of me, and he said, repent and be baptized. And so these are two uh, acts, physical acts, that God has set apart for a holy use, for a sacramental purpose. But I want to, uh, I want to read to you just what is said in the, in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the language is a little crazy, um, but I think it's good for us to hear. And then we'll kind of break it open a little bit. Uh, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, so he commanded it, wherein by sensible signs, Christ, 
And the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Then question 93, what are the sacraments of the New Testament? As we just said, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Question 94, what is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost signifies and seals our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. Question 95, to whom is baptism administered? Answer, baptism is not to be administered to any that are out of the visible church till they profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him. But the infants of such as are members of the visible church are to be baptized. So that gets to the two uh, different forms of baptism that we'll get to in a minute. So that's a little bit about sacrament and baptism. So David, do we only baptize babies? So, uh, you know, that's one of the things that when you, when you get into the life of the church, and let, let, me, let me back up and, and talk a little bit about those Westminster Confession uh, definitions. So the, the first thing it says, and the way I usually uh, describe this, when someone says, what is baptism? It's an outward sign of an inward grace, an inward act that God by his Holy Spirit has already accomplished in you. So baptism in and of itself is not salvific. So I, I want to be clear. And again, there are other religious traditions that would say that unless you're baptized, uh, you can't go to heaven. So that's why, you know, when I was a chaplain in a hospital uh, back in Austin during my seminary years, there were some people whose babies would be born prematurely and they were petrified that if the chaplain didn't get down there and baptize that child right away, that somehow their child wouldn't go to heaven. And trying to console parents whose babies died before baptism. And I was faced with one situation where they wanted me to baptize a dead child. Mm -hmm. And so you get into all kinds of really challenging theological issues in real human lives when you don't do this theological work now. So understand uh, what we're talking about does matter. Um, so baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. So it's a confirmation of what something that God has done in us. Um, so think about those two words, sign and seal. If you think about what is a sign, what does a sign do for you? A sign is pointing you where to go. It's pointing you to something uh, that you're, you're trying to get to or some, some place where you want to be. It's a, it's a signpost or a marker. So we look at baptism as a very important sign that points us to the work of Christ, to the cross, to the resurrection. And specifically in the water, it points us to that symbol of the shed blood of Christ. So what we believe to be true about the blood of Christ, that what is necessary for us to be cleansed from our sins is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That water represents that shed blood, and it is the cleansing of our lives. So that's the beauty of the symbol of baptism by immersion. Because when you go under the waters, you're dying to your old self. You're being cleansed from your unrighteousness, and you, you rise from the waters of death into new life. And so, frankly, 
uh, in baptism, sometimes I wish I was Baptist more because I love uh, the symbol uh, that happens in a baptism by immersion. So uh, baptism is a sign, but then it's also a seal. So last week, uh, Dr. Mao talked about uh, who, can, who can break the seal and open the scroll. So a seal is something that does two things when you think about it. It keeps the good stuff in the baggie, so to speak. It keeps the good stuff in, and it keeps the bad stuff out. And so when you and I come to Christ, what do we know that the enemy is going to try to do? The enemy is going to try to come in and steal what God has placed in our hearts. It's going to try to corrupt that. So baptism is the seal upon your heart that keeps the enemy from coming in to rob you of that truth from the outside, and it keeps the good stuff, what God has done for you in Christ, it keeps that in. It keeps you aware of that. So you'll often hear me say on Sunday mornings when I baptize an adult, uh, I will say, you know, to you in the congregation, do you promise to be this person's church family? And then I'll have you stand. And then I'll say to that person, I want you to take a mental snapshot. I want you to remember this. What I'm trying to get them to do is to seal that picture in their mind, that there was a day, there was a moment where they took a step and they did something. Otherwise, sometimes, without that physical ascription, the enemy can kind of come in and go, you know, all those feelings you had about Jesus loving you, you know what, that happened 10 years ago. Yeah, that's probably not even true anymore and, and can create doubt <clears throat> within us. But that seal of your baptism is you remember, as an adult, you remember there was a moment when I professed my faith in Jesus Christ that is sealed within me by the Holy Spirit. I know that that cannot be taken from me. I cannot lose my salvation. And you walk with greater confidence and security because that has been sealed upon your heart. So think of baptism as sign, what it points you to, the work of Christ, and seal the security, the confidence that comes from faith that lives within you and keeps the enemy from robbing you of that truth in your life. Sign and seal uh, forever and ever. So can we then, let me be sure I didn't leave anything out there. Um, so... Uh, can, do we baptize children? So the, the answer to that is obviously yes, we baptize children. But infant baptism and adult baptism are wholly different. And I know sometimes in some circles they think, oh, uh, Baptists baptize the adults and Presbyterians baptize the children. And that somehow Presbyterians don't baptize adults. Not, not true at all. Uh, and some thought uh, Presbyterians don't immerse adults. Not true at all. Uh, we do both of those things. But, but there's a big difference when you baptize a child. So when you baptize an adult, we're following the command of Jesus, repent and be baptized. So it's actually an act of obedience. So, you know, if somebody asks you, why, why did you get baptized? Well, one reason is because Jesus commanded it. We might not understand all the mysteries of faith. We might not understand everything that's happening to us in that moment. But Jesus said, this is what you're supposed to do. So he says it, I'm going to do it. So when, when you look at adult baptism, repent, be baptized, that's the outward confirmation of what God has done in your heart. Infant baptism is actually based on the faith of the parents. So there's a baptism in each service this morning. So you'll hear me ask four questions of the parents of the child. And those four questions are based on the faith of the parents. 
Why? Because we believe in covenant theology. And, you know, as when we, that's why we talk new members about covenant partners. The word covenant implies and, and refers to our relationship with God. God made a covenant with us. He will be our God. We will be his people. He said he's willing to die to keep that covenant. And so that death was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so we have this covenant relationship with God. But from the very beginning, and this is what I think is so cool, over and over again in the Old Testament, the covenant promise of God is always for you, your children, and your children's children. So God made promises in Israel to his people that were operative for children who weren't even born yet, that, that hadn't even arrived on the scene. So what God is saying is, I've, I've made this promise and your children are a part of the faithfulness that I'm gonna show to you. And so there's always an outward sign to the covenant promises of God. So you think about when God promised Noah, this is not gonna be the end. I, you know, I'm gonna save you, we're gonna restart. What was the sign of the covenant that God made with Noah is the rainbow, right? So in, in covenant marriage, what's the outward sign of the covenant that a man and a woman make with each other? It's their physical union. So there's always an outward sign to the covenant promise that is made. So in the Old Testament, what was the outward sign of the promise that God had made to the children of Israel? It was circumcision. So he said, you take all the male children and I want them to be circumcised as an outward sign that they're included in everything that I'm doing in you and in Israel by the faith of the parents. So if the covenant of God is, is one long promise that extends Genesis to Revelation that's fulfilled in Christ and is now being unfolded through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is revealing to those who are part of the covenant who may not know it yet, but the Spirit will reveal it to them in due course in generations to come. The covenant is still at work. Then our children are still involved in that. And so when you look at the Old Testament, this promise is for you, your children, your children's children. That's also true in the New Testament. That's why you find in the book of Acts that Peter and Paul both went into entire households. It says he went into the household of Cornelius and baptized his family. So that means parents and children. So a lot of times you go, oh, there's, there's no infant baptism in the New Testament. Yeah, actually there is. And so we remember that our children are included in these covenant promises. So I go in an infant baptism and I'm actually talking to the parents. Does it save the child? Absolutely not. But the parents are saying, I ask them first question, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus? Yes, I do. Second question, do you believe your child needs that faith? Yes, I do. Third question, do you believe that's a work of the Holy Spirit? You, a parent can't give their child faith. That has to be revealed to them in Christ. Do you believe that? Yes, I do. Then the fourth question is the parent's responsibility. Do you promise that as you rely on the Holy Spirit that you'll try to set before them a godly example, that you'll pray with them and for them, and you'll teach them the doctrines of our Christian faith. So they say, I do to that. And based on their faith, then I go and I baptize that child, and that child then becomes a part of the community of faith. So I've talked too long on answering those questions. So what's the difference between an infant baptism and a baby dedication? Oh, that's such a good question. I have no idea. No, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, you know, it's, it's, there's so much vernacular in the church, as I'm sure you've probably heard. So you can go to a dedication, you can go to a christening, and you can go to a baptism. 
Baptism is wholly different than those other two things. At, at a dedication, essentially, and, and I think even at a christening, as I understand christenings, and I'm not sure that I totally do, um, but as I understand christenings, what you're saying is, Lord, we, we give this child to you. Um, we want this child to be for your purposes. And so, you know, please, please bless our child. Okay, that's completely different than the baptism of a child in the Presbyterian church is one of Holy Spirit confirmation and claiming. So, and what I mean by that is based on the faith of the parents, what we're saying is that God one day is going to be faithful to this child and will bring this child to faith. And that from this moment on, the Holy Spirit claims this child to be in covenant relationship. In other words, the promises of God are applied now in this child's life. Is the child cognitively aware of it? No. But we believe that the Spirit will use whatever means in that child's life so that one day he or she will be brought to faith. And hopefully, uh, in the Presbyterian church, that is celebrated on the day of their confirmation, where that child stands, makes a public profession of faith, and we, we go, see, God was faithful to the baptismal vows. They came to Christ. He was faithful to the faith and the promises he made to those parents. So it's different than saying, Lord, here's my child, use my child. That's different than saying, this child is now claimed by God as a covenant child and will one day be brought to faith and be used for his kingdom purposes based on the faith of the parents. We are saying God promised and God will be faithful. In the dedication, they don't know. They're saying, I hope it works out, but baptism, we're saying something completely different. So when a friend of mine comes to me and asks, well, what is baptism? And why do I stand with my child in front of a lot of people, hundreds of people, and sprinkle wa water on, and you sprinkle water on my child? Mm -hmm. What do I tell them? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of times it is helpful to kind of have an elevator speech on baptism. And um, especially in this culture that is largely not churched, people don't go to church on a regular basis, um, in fact, Christian people are not going to church as regularly as they used to. And so trying to understand sacraments and, you know, you, you say to, you know, your coworkers is, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And you go, oh, you know, we're big Sunday. My son's getting baptized. And they go, you know, what, how do you answer that? And, you know, I, I think that the best way to say that is that we believe in, in our church um, that by our faith, uh, in God, that he's also claiming for himself the life of my child and that my child belongs to God and uh, by the love that he's given to us in Jesus, that my child will belong to God forever. And that's, you know, kind of a simple way of saying he's a part of a covenant family. You don't have to get into a lot of um, theological terms. Uh, but the other, the, the big theological word for, for infant baptism is pedo-baptism. So you might hear that in theological circles and Baptist, Baptists will refer to Presbyterians as pedo-baptists. So you baptize children. Um, so just in terms of terminology, but I think that's a good way of summarizing, you know, we're, we're celebrating that God has claimed the life of my child as his own and for never ever he'll belong to God. And um, I think that's a pretty easy way. Now, the, the tougher thing, and I know this is not a question we talked about exploring and I don't have that much longer, but the tougher thing is, what do I say to my two-year-old about infant baptism. And so here's a question that wh where's the line you draw between infant, do I baptize my child as an infant or as an adult? And I run into this a lot when 
uh, parents uh, are not part of a church that baptizes babies, and then they come join our church, and their child is two. And they see, or maybe they're three, and they see all these other kids getting baptized, and they go, should my child be baptized? And so they'll come meet with me, and we'll talk. I explain to them what baptism is, and they're like, well, are they too old? In other words, once a child starts to have cognitive uh, reasoning ability, I would tell you that they're past the age for infant baptism. Infant baptism is when that child is unaware of anything that God may or may not be doing in the world. But as soon as your child begins to think about, and as you teach them, God is real. God made me. Sometimes I make mistakes. I don't always do what God wants. This awareness that I'm imperfect, this awareness that God is real, this awareness that God loves me. Once those things begin to be real, then my counsel to parents is always wait to have them baptized so that when that moment happens uh, for them as an adult, uh, that becomes really a, a powerful moment. And let me say, you can believe and understand in infant baptism. And, and in our church, it's not a requirement. Like just because you have a baby doesn't mean that you're required at first pres to have them baptized. You, you can wait and have, let them be baptized as an adult when that moment happens. And you'll see on, on Confirmation Sunday, a lot, of, a lot. They're usually out of 25 kids, probably five or six. That I, will, that I will baptize that day. So you don't, there's not a requirement that your infants be baptized and, and whether or not you believe in infant baptism is actually not, it's not salvific one way or another. You cannot believe in infant baptism and you're going to heaven. So uh, that's not a stipulation for your membership in the life of the church either. I just want you to understand how we view that from a, a reform perspective. Um, what was your question again, Becky? My, my question is, like, when my friend comes to me and says, what is baptism? Oh, yeah, that's and the then, elevator speech. Okay, and then yes, the last and one? and then when, and you sprinkle water on my child in front of all these people. Right, so what do I tell my child? You know, I, I think if I'm, if I'm going to baptize a child, and now I remember my train of thought. Sorry, I've got a lot of cold medicine in my body. Um, <laughs> so if my child's four or five, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put God in a box and, and say when the spirit may move upon your child. Um, that may happen when that child is five. I've baptized children. I think the youngest child I've baptized is five. And if you think your child's ready for baptism, always I'm gonna say, great, bring them in, let's talk. And, and we will sit down and I will talk to them, usually by themselves. And I'll say, you know, t tell me, why, why do you wanna be baptized? And if the answer is, well, I saw my older brother, you know, that, that's pr it's probably too soon. Um, but if they're able to articulate an understanding of God's presence in their life and a desire to do what he wants them to do and a recognition that sometimes he doesn't do the things that God wants, then, then he or she has that rudimentary basics of faith. I'll, I'll baptize them at five or six. And for me, that water, I'm telling my child, that water represents the extent of God's love for you, that God was willing to do everything necessary to show you how much he loved you. And I'll speak to children in those terms. Then I'm gonna wait so my child can be baptized, but I'm not gonna send a five-year-old through confirmation because I, they're not intellectually ready for that. So I'm gonna wait till probably third, the, the youngest would be third, likely fourth, fifth, or sixth grade um, for them to go through confirmation so that now intellectually, I've got at least a little abstract thinking ability and I can start putting these concepts 
um, together what I know to be true in my heart. Now uh, our, our teachers are going to give me the intellectual underpinnings as to why what I know to be true in my heart is, in fact, intellectually true. And so those two things might not happen together. Last thing I'll say, and then you need to have some discussion around your tables. Um, uh, the whole idea of baptism and rebaptism. Um, you know, if you get baptized twice, you know, that, that's not the end of the world. You're not going to hell. So everyone, you know, relax about that. Um, I don't think any of you were afraid of that anyway. But I will often see uh, somebody goes to Israel, they got baptized as a child. And on Facebook, I got, I got rebaptized in the Jordan River. I'm so excited. You know, that's great. And then we struggle with this in youth ministry too, because, you know, mm-hmm. kids have already been baptized. They go to camp, they have a moment, they're on a mountaintop, and everybody's in the swimming pool with their counselor getting baptized. And I'm so excited. I got, I got baptized at Eagle Rock. And we go, all right. But, you know, theologically, what you're saying when you get rebaptized is that somehow God either messed up or wasn't present in the first one. What you're saying is the first one didn't take. But if you're on a mountaintop at a youth camp and you feel deeply the presence of God, what that tells you is the first one did take. God is being faithful to your infant baptism because now you are alive in Christ. So you celebrate that, but, but there's no biblical theological reason to get rebaptized. In fact, it says the wrong thing about God. It would suggest that God could, might not be faithful in our baptism. That's why Galatians says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it's why the church has created opportunity to renew and to remember our baptism as we will do next Sunday. So we'll use water. And you'll come forward and you'll put your hands over a bowl and we will pour water over your hands and we'll say, remember that God has claimed you and loved you as his own, as was celebrated on the day of your baptism. You've been cleansed from your sin. But there's not a need to go get baptized. Again, I know, you know, I mean, how do you not, I mean, go in the Jordan River, absolutely. Have some fun, swim around. But I'm not sure that getting baptized says the thing that you want to say about God, which is, you know what? The first one probably wasn't, wasn't good enough. I got to do it again because I'm in this cool location. Um, is it the end of the world? No. But I would tell you in the life of the church, we want to be baptized one time and we celebrate God's faithfulness in that. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks again for listening this week. Be sure to like What the Church and subscribe to get notified about our future episodes. We'll be back next week with Dr. Swanson in the studio for our first podcast episode of The Ordinary Series. Now go out and live truth.